and welcome along to the Property Academy podcast by Opus Partners. I'm your host here tonight. And it's our show, we've got another case study Sunday. And look, after last Sunday, having Peter on the show talking about mortgages, I thought, I'll tell you what, let's get another mortgage advisor on the show. So we're very pleased to be joined by Michelle Kittelau. Michelle, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Now, walk us through, who are we talking about today? We have got Jess and Ollie up for case study Sunday today. And what was the situation that Jess and Ollie found themselves in? Earlier in the year, they signed up for a property in Auckland and have found themselves dealing with an existing broker who helped them with their first home, didn't have quite a lot of experience in investment properties, and provided some advice that went a little bit against what we generally talk about in regards to split banking predominantly. And I think this is a really important topic because most brokers can handle a first home, but when it comes to investment properties, particularly new build investment properties where you've got differing LVRs the day after you settle, it can be really important to know some of those tricks of the trade. Mm, exactly. And that's that's where we kind of find ourselves getting a little bit unstuck with the changes in increased testing rates, a little bit tighter on the values and properties, properties changing, dropping a little bit, not the same jumps that we had earlier. And that's exactly where we've got a little bit stuck at this point in the process. Okay, well, let's come back to the story. So they've put this property under contract. They're happy working away with the mortgage advisor that stuff worked with before. And then what happens? The property value dropped. And so where they had gone to their initial broker and just got the 10% deposit that they needed to go unconditional on the property, they no longer had the available equity in order to get the next portion that they needed to settle. So just so I understand this right, so they bought their own home, they're borrowing the deposit against their own home, rather than borrow the full 20% that they need for their investment property when they did their unconditional and pay the deposit, they only borrowed the 10% that they needed right then and there. So they're probably doing that to reduce the amount of interest bill, but what could we have done differently? So generally we would recommend taking the full 20% because that means that we have far more options if we come to the stage where we need to shop around, maybe go second tiers with things changing. So as we've talked about on the show before, we generally do 10% in a fixed loan, fixed rate to keep that interest rate low, and then another 10% in a revolving credit, and that allows the client to not pay any interest on that portion, but we know that it's available. It doesn't matter if the property values drop and it's there guaranteed. So did they have the equity available in their own home when they went unconditional? Absolutely. It was right at the peak of the market. They had that and some. Oh, so what's happened there? Their house has gone down in value. Now the bank won't give them the extra 10%. Exactly. And this is one of the main differences that you see between mortgage advisors where one advisor might set it up a particular way and another advisor will look at that and say, why the hell are you doing that? And so what their advisor missed, if we can say this, is setting up that additional 10% revolving credit that could then be there, available, tapped into when it comes to settlement. Now, if you decided, actually, I'm going to stick with my main bank, well, as long as you had enough equity, no issue there. That wouldn't have been an issue once it came time to settle that property. But because they hadn't set it up, they're now in a bit of an issue. They don't have the 10% additional needed within their own home to get it. So new builds require a 20% deposit when it comes to settlement from the bank size. They've only got 10% that they've withdrawn. How are they going to make it work? What can you do here? So we do have a couple of options depending on the client's financial situation. So in some cases, we might need to go to a second tier to get just the 10% as a second mortgage, and then we can go to another main bank and get the remaining 80%. Because it's a new build and an exempt property, our easiest and cleanest option is to go to a main bank 
Perhaps because we're over 80%, they may need to pay a low equity margin or perhaps a slightly higher fee to kind of balance out the risk that the bank's taking. But we should be able to get it across the line. It's just not going to come with as many benefits. They're going to have those higher rates. They're going to have those fees. They may not get a cash contribution either, which is going to add extra costs for legals that they might not have been expecting. And so what we're really talking about here, just to be really clear, is they are going to settle this new built property with a 10% deposit, right? They're going to get 90% lending. Now, typically on the show, we talk about needing a 20% deposit for a new build, but there is nothing in the Reserve Bank's LVR restrictions that says a bank cannot lend more than that and cannot lend to you as an investor with a 10% deposit. Now, before you all get too excited, it doesn't happen often. Michelle, how often would this actually happen with a main bank? So for an investment property, very, very rarely. For an owner-occupied, especially for a first home buyer, we can often get it over the line reasonably seamlessly, but for investors, they, they don't like it at all. Okay, but before we hit record, you told me that you'd gone to two main banks and both of them had said that they were willing to go up to 90%. So how does that happen? How do you make that work? A lot of it comes down to who you know. So having, you know, with the brokers, we deal with BDMs and, and making sure we've got really strong relationships with those people who are prepared to workshop deals. The rest of it comes from how much availability the bank has in their over-reserve bank fund. So they have a fund where they might be prepared to do things a little bit more creatively and also timing in the market. So sometimes with things tightening up like rates, they're not getting as much lending through the door. So are they prepared to bend a little because they need to get the lending so they can pay their staff? And I'll actually give you another example that I had the other day. So one of my friends actually purchased a property in Auckland. On the flip side, his broker which was Catalyst, had organised his full 20% deposit to be available for settlement. Full $200,000 of a million dollar purchase price, round numbers. Now, the valuation on the Auckland investment property came in 60 grand under what he paid for it. Now, the value is off his head. There's no way that that's worth 60,000 less. And what we're going to do is go through and get a new valuation and, and challenge it. In the meantime, Peter actually went back to the bank that was doing the 80% ASB with the lower valuation of $60,000 less and the bank said, actually, we'll still lend the full amount for that. They did it 85%. So no higher interest rate, no reduced cash back. They accepted 85% on that purchase price because he still had that facility in place with his bank because of split banking. And what was it about that situation that ASB said, yeah, we'll fund it with pretty favourable terms, actually? I think, actually, banks are seeing a lot of this valuations coming in less at the moment, and they're using a bit more discretion when they can with things like new builds because new builds, they don't even come out of that percentage. Did you know that? No. So the percentage that a bank's allowed to go over and above 80% or 60% for an investment property, new builds are fully exempt. They don't fall onto that on their book. And so why not write that in a market, like you say, which is a lot slower? Now, I know that with these two investors, Ollie and Jess, that there were some other things they need to do in order to get this across the line, right? There are some other changes they need to make. Yeah, so that's a really interesting and important point. When you lend over 80%, you are required to have a higher UMI figure. So you actually need more income to counteract the risk that you're taking from a lower deposit or an equitable position. So now they're in a position where they have to repay and clear credit cards that they didn't necessarily want to clear previously, reduce costs, Jess is self-employed, and so she's going to need to write off less against a company, meaning that tax is slightly is going to look like it's going to cost more next year. Okay, just walk us through that point as well, because this is an important one. 
So people often, when they run their own business or are contractors, will write off some of their, say, their own home rates, some of their own home interest as a business expense, right? And so this reduces, in the IRD's eyes, the amount of money that they earn and therefore decreases their tax bill. But they're going to have to do something different. Exactly. So in this case, we're just has charged off about $30,000 worth of home office expenses and, as you say, some rates and insurances because she can charge her office to herself as a rent. That cost is going to have to decrease dramatically. Therefore, that tax is going to need to be paid. But on the other side, we can pump up her personal income by that 30000 Or, you know, we probably wouldn't use the entire amount. We'd work out what exactly we need at the time and add that onto her annual income. Does the bank not just add back home office expenses? Depends on the bank. Right, okay. And how the accountant has put the financials together because they have to word home office. Sometimes they just put rent. And these are some of the little details that you as a borrower, I as a borrower, never going to know. You've got to be working with a mortgage advisor who understands what those differences are between banks so that if your accountant has put it down as rent, they either can say, hey, you need to change this so that it comes across as home office and it can be added back in, or you need to work with this bank who's going to accept your situation and approve you for lending on that basis. Now, the credit cards was an interesting one because it didn't initially, they said, yep, no trouble, we're going to be able to clear those. How much debt are we talking? We've got one credit card of about 8,000 and I think the other one's a gem visa at maybe six. So initially we were just going to decrease the limits because they didn't need them anyway. But to counter off without coming to us for advice, to counteract the fact that their value had dropped, they decided to do some renovations on the property, put a deck in to try and keep that value higher and maxed out both of those facilities. And we're now no longer in a position where they can pay them off as easily. What's it gone up to? We're at about 25. Oh. Has the value of their property gone up? Nope. Which is another really important thing to matter, you know, doing renovations, you have to do the renovations in the right space, right? It's not just chucking money into your property. It needs yeah. to be in areas where. Oh my God, yes. Now, I was talking to my future sister-in-law the other oh, day. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. And they were talking about that they're going to buy a house and they're like, oh, we want to do some renovations. We're going to paint the exterior of the house and we're going to put a pool in. And put I, a pool in. Put a pool in. Oh, can I tell them now not to do that? Well, what... <laughs> It's because you were an idiot and to put a cover on your pool and then choose to heat it. Yeah, that's, that's not the expensive part. Retiling it twice was the expensive part. Edward. We're not even going to get into that. But what I was saying is there is such a risk and it happens all the time. And everybody thinks, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. And then you do it, which is that you start spending on renovations. And I've got my air quotes here that don't actually add to the property's value. Painting the exterior of the house just because you don't like the color of it is not going to increase the value of the property, but it is going to cost you $10,000. Putting a pool in is going to cost you, I don't even know what it costs to put a pool in because I've got no interest in that. Let's call it thirty dollars to $50,000 is maybe going to increase the value of your home by thirty dollars to $50,000, but you're not going to get any additional benefit over and above your spend. Is that the situation they're in? Yeah, so, so generally the way a valuer told me to look at it is you need to deduct the value of what is already there. So if you upgrade your kitchen and it costs 10 grand to do it, but the previous kitchen was worth five, you're technically only adding five grand's worth of value. And so when you're doing things, what they've done is taken down an old deck and put in a new deck and it's quite expensive, but really all it's done is churned the existing property value. They've done things like paint the inside, Absolutely, that'll make it more attractive to buyers, but they don't want to sell it. They want to add value. And we've really found ourselves in a bit of a pickle. And bear in mind that 
before you even break even, if you spend eight grand, the value of your house has to go up by 10 grand from an LVR perspective, because if your house goes up in value by 10 grand, you could only borrow an additional eight grand against Which it. Which is the money you took out to do the renovations. Pointless. So what are we going to do with that situation? Are they going to clear those credit cards or you said they don't have the ability to? What's the solution here? Well, the actual advantage is we've got about 12 months until the property settles. So because we've found the problem now, we have 12 months to work on a solution. We have 12 months to talk about what changes they need to make. We've got 12 months to sort of play on what we think that is going to happen with the rates and the testing rates, whether we need to lock something in now, whether they need to look at different jobs, whether they need to look at pay rises. We talked about what we're going to do with Jess and her employment income. We're going to have new financials by the time that property comes, so we do have time to speak with the accountant and get those put together in a different way. That, if anything, is the most important thing I can stress. Coming to your broker as soon as possible when things aren't looking right so we have time to put a plan together. If we were settling next month, we'd be screwed. We don't have time to get a solution in that time. Yeah, and it's interesting because there are investors that I work with at the moment who are coming up to settlement and something drastic's changed and they're telling us now, and like settlement's a month away they are going to have to settle that property and probably pay higher interest rates because there isn't enough time to come up with a meaningful solution. So I think you've got to make sure, A, you've got a broker that understands investment and B, you're in good communication with that broker so that you don't come up to settlement and not have a solution. Otherwise, you'll lose your deposit. Right, let's wrap it up there. But please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. Really does help us get the message out to more people. And Tay, I want to see you at our upcoming webinar. That's happening on this Tuesday, actually. The 8th of November, 7pm, and you're going to get our predictions and forecasts for what interest rates and the property market is going to do in 2023. You know what to do. Links down in the show notes, tap or swipe over the cover art, links in there, or just go to opuspartners.co.nz to sign up. Thanks for listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed Knight. And I'm Andrew Nicholl. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics and insights to help you get the most. Until next time.